Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earl. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 104, and I'm Amanda Earl, and I'm really happy to uh, welcome our guest today, who is David Naiman. Welcome, David. Hi. I'm so happy to be on your podcast. I'm, I'm so happy you're on the show, too. I, it, it's really funny because... Um, um, anyone who knows me, uh, people who listen to the show, who um, who hear me read poetry lately at open mics, who um, or or at readings, other readings, I mention your show constantly to them. It's in my poems, even. So you know, this wow. is this is it. This That's is amazing. this is a great time. So yeah. So rather than uh, we're we're not we don't usually start with a bio or anything like that. So we one of the things I like about uh, David's show is that he doesn't do any banter or small talk at the beginning. So we're just going to jump right in. He does a lot of great things, but we're I'm going to jump right in. So here we are jumping into the into the into my uh, into the show. So um so. Basically, David is here as as um, another in this year's extra. What I'm calling with it because I don't have a good name for it. Extra literary page adjacent series where I'm talking to people who work in areas surrounding the page. But uh, so David is the host of an amazing podcast between the covers. But also he is also a writer in his as well as that. So we will even though I say it's page adjacent, we definitely get onto the page and definitely onto some of his pages. Well, we'll see what we get up to in this in this uh in this episode today so um david i wanted to have you on the show for many reasons between the covers has served as a companion and motivator to me on my journey to wellness and fitness um, since i was diagnosed with diabetes last year so it's been really helpful to have your show sometimes i even take a longer walk on the way home just so i can finish the episode and and i didn't do that for the the natalie diaz uh two-parter five-hour episode otherwise i'd be <laughs> Probably be in Montreal or something by now if I that. You but, would have cured your diabetes after right, that right. five hour walk. Just by walking, just by listening to your podcast. We'll put that <laughs> on the on on meds. Is listen to between the covers. And the show promotes and amplifies voices that have been systematically excluded excluded from the literary canon, which is in keeping with the ethos of my press, Angel House Press, and of the Small Machine Talks. It's a feminist podcast. That's very important to me. And it's clear that the show is run by someone who is a lover of reading. I see in you a kindred bibliophile who celebrates the imagination. So that's that's important to me too. And each episode is generative. It often inspires writing and reading. I have to say, I've been buying a lot more books of late. So that's on you. That's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm also curious about the person who runs the show, because you don't talk a lot about yourself on the show. And I, I get that. I talk more about myself on my show. But um, but I wanted to get the chance to ask you about your own writing and some of the connections between the podcast, your writing and your and also your life. So uh, hopefully we'll get to all those things in, in the yeah, space. I'm excited about it. Okay, That's good. So, um, yeah, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, just sort of um, the role of chance and intention, because as I as I did a little bit of a of a, I tried to do it, I felt a little like a stalker because I, I would find things on I found like a on Tumblr, I found like an old CV and things like that. So I'm going, oh, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to be seeing this necessarily, but it was very interesting to see all these things and uh, old videos and things like that. Yeah was a little bit I did feel a little stalkerish I thought oh this this feels like a bit much but uh, so one of the things I found out is that you I actually only found this out recently um re-listening to the episode on uh with uh the two episodes with Natalie Diaz you mentioned at that time it was it was um December of 2020 and you talked a little bit about the fact that at that time it was the show's tw uh, 10th anniversary so now I guess we're getting into 13 years so that's mm -hmm. that's uh pretty amazing <laughs> it is amazing yeah, can you believe you're here doing this show so long after so long? I honestly am. I pinched myself uh, quite a lot since 2020. The one of the big, or, or maybe the big upside of the pandemic, if the pandemic had an upside, okay. was both moving to a virtual 
remote space for the show, which I think has been entirely positive. And asking, which was very difficult to do, mm-hmm. asking people to catch me if I leap from what I was doing before to trying to do the podcast as a, uh, as my profession yeah, and, and being caught by, by the people who cared about the show. Um, something that didn't seem a foregone conclusion at all. In fact, not at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel a, an, a sense of gratitude really quite often about the fact that I'm doing this. Yeah, I I, I, can, I mean, it's great. I, I um, One of the things I'm going to do as on the smallmachinetalks.com site is I'll include the, a list of, um, of links, and I'll also include a link to let people know how they can support the podcast and the link to all the great things that they get in return for doing it. I, I joined, and I'm, I'm looking at all these great links to things. And, and I did check out uh, um, The Art of Erosion by Alice Oswald today, so I was just oh. listening to that. But I didn't have enough concentration before this to really listen to it. But I did listen to it a little bit. So um, Yeah, that's my favorite Alice Oswald lecture, though I love her lectures from beginning to end. That's it. Well, your you, your enthusiasm and interest is is what is one of the things that sparks me. So I learned in that in that um, those episodes uh, with Natalie Diaz that you started off. You were doing a three to five a.m. shift at a radio station in Colorado while you were doing your undergrad. So that was interesting that you started there, and then um, and then you um, volunteered at KBOO. Uh, 90.7 FM, which was a community station in Portland. They don't say K-Boo. Eh? They don't do that. They don't say K-Boo. They wanted, do say K-Boo. Okay, I wasn't sure. I, I I heard you say K-B-O-O. So I thought, okay, I shouldn't say K-Boo because I want to say K-Boo. But. Well, when you're on the radio, when you have to, you have to, by yeah. law, do certain uh, uh, call signals. And when right. you do the call signals, I don't remember what the FCC requires. You have to say the, the letters. Right. But everyone refers to it as K-Boo. Few. I thought I I hate I hate being you know like giving things nicknames and naming things when I'm not supposed to you know we t- we'll talk about naming things as well. So that's a community uh, radio station in Portland. And you were helping with the sound engineering at first, so you were volunteering, and then you were asked to take over the health show health show, not the health show, the health show. I don't think they have a health show probably on there. No, they not might sure. have a late night health show. We uh, <laughs> they might have multiple late night health shows. Actually, who knows? They have <laughs> everything at that station. It's quite. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So you 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 did that a- after the host left, and then because they learned that you were a naturopath, but and an acupuncturist. But the interviews began to feel, according to what I read, was were feeling a little predictable because the guests uh, basically it was a lot of books on health and that stuff is, I mean, you're not suddenly going to have a, a, a usually not going to have a su- surprise cancer is cured all of a sudden in a, on the podcast episode the big reveal <laughs> not really going to happen right usually with health things so uh, so yeah so so that felt maybe a bit predictable in in, in some cases so um, but then the station needed someone to interview writers of literature so you end up doing that even though it was it was scary as we all know it's scary to have conversations about art so <laughs> art is scary art is a scary thing <laughs> yes <laughs> But um, so, and I also read that you had a long-term book discussion group that read Ulysses, and you've taken seminars on literature at an MFA program. So it seems like you've been interested in not just reading, but also engaging with the craft of writing and book-associated stuff for a long time. That's true. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I mean, I guess, I don't know, going, so when I finished school for Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine i don't know that five years felt like in a lot of ways lost years because Mm -hmm. prior to that when i was an undergrad motivated by a lot of curiosity and critical thinking i was studying philosophy and studying biology but just you know taking courses like you would as an undergraduate in anything that really interested you and pursuing things that you know nothing about or deepening things that you you um you know something about but in medical school i was surprised or at least this version of it i was surprised by how little critical thinking was involved and how much memorization it was 
um, also really the lack of um, a political or sociopolitical um, analysis around the medicine. And then um, just because of the amount of time it took losing a whole bunch of parts of myself, whether that be uh, my interest in in politics and history, in literature. Um, so during that five years, it was, there was a lot that had to go dormant. And when I came out, very intentionally wanted to have a really, I wanted to work. I mean, in, in one respect, this was like ideal balance of life. Cause now the paradox is I'm doing what I love which wasn't true before, but I'm working, I don't know, 60, 70 hours a week. And it's not really balanced, no. I'm striving towards it. But at that time, I was working intentionally, a low volume, half time practice to try to spend the other half of my time to sort of reclaim parts of myself. So getting back involved in political activism, going to the radio station, which was partially nostalgic, I think, for having been a DJ when I was in college late at night. But also um, there was such an emphasis, particularly in naturopathic medicine, on individualized medicine. And I think to a fault in the sense that I think every medicine has a certain cultural bias to it. And it's hard to see it when it's the the ubiquitous medicine of your culture. But when it's a weird other medicine, regardless of the type, you can see some of those biases, the seams and in the medicine. And and that medicine was founded, much like our country was founded, by Puritans from England and Germany. And and in a lot of ways it was very much about the will over the body and also about um the individual in relationship to the will in ways that I didn't like. And I, and manifest in approaches to food, um, but also approaches to community. And so, you know, like some of the ways the community at large, I think had a very um, out of step connection or bias against vaccines. Uh, which is about, I mean, which is about um, how are we beholden to everyone else? Maybe my risk is lower as an individual to not get vaccinated and be in a community that's highly vaccinated and sort of surf off of the herd immunity of those other people. Or do I have a responsibility to be part of the solution as a community? Not that I want to have a conversation about vaccines, but, <laughs> but this is one example that going to a community radio station was also compelling. They had an ethos that was a political and, and um, sociological, uh, anti-colonial and feminist uh, lens that was appealing to be part of a collective again. And also that's part of the reason why things ended up happening with Ursula Le Guin. She had a great fondness for this radio station, not a highly listened to radio station, um, but a radio station she really admired uh, for its politics and its ethics. And so, um, you know, that, that if we're talking about chance, that was also a way we ended up meeting is through her admiration of the place rather than knowing anything about me. Right, right. Yeah, I, 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 I was in Portland only once, but it was in the 90s for a work thing. And I don't remember anything except for I didn't like the beer. That was the only thing. <laughs> I did. It was the 90s. And, you know, I, I was very I wasn't in a place where I was happy. At my, I was doing a different thing in my life, too. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, were you a, a fan of the radio when you were a kid? Did you, or when you were younger, or did you, uh, did you listen to the radio or anything like that? Well, I mean, I think that when I was younger, everybody was listening. I mean, maybe not everybody, people who didn't like music. I, I, yeah, I love radio. I think it's really interesting how radio endures. Yeah. Uh, 
even now, um, storytelling, oral, oral, um, hearing things orally, uh, seems to endure regardless of the, the changes in format and delivery. Um, but yeah, I, I, when I went to the radio station, I wasn't after graduate school, it wasn't to do a book show or to do a show. It was to DJ. I was hoping to DJ and that never happened. Um, but that was the initial impulse that then led sideways and then sideways and then sideways and then sideways and until I discovered a, uh, uh, something that really seemed to fit. I used to do when I was uh, in my, in my rec room, when I was a kid, I had, I loved, like it was Saturday night live was just, had just, was just going on like the Belushi, Jane Curtin, all those, all those, that era. And uh, so I did a little, I did tape recorded a little radio show with my friends, basically where I, I did these impressions and I, I, we interviewed each other in various voices. So we, and I kept little index yeah. cards on my family, right. Just to like have little notes about them. So yeah, I, I've always been quite interested in the radio, but then yeah. when I, I had an opportunity to be a host of a radio show and I turned it down because I didn't like the commit. I didn't want to commit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't, I'm afraid I can sort of give myself structure, but I don't like it when other people give me structure Hence, not employed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, what's so great about podcasts. You can really, right. you can tailor them in every which way to what you prefer. Yeah, that's it. Although yours is uh, pretty consistently two episodes a month and sometimes a third, uh, like for in 2022 for the uh, Crafting with Ursula series, you had a whole other uh, thread. So you had a whole uh, another whole series you had to run within that time. And I can understand about work life balance being an issue when you were when you're having to do that. So Yeah. No, last year. That was so that's strange because it's true. I only do two episodes of Between the Covers every month, and that's just a, purely because of the way I want to do them. I don't. There's no way I'd have the capacity to do more. And so, what's interesting is the Crafting with Ursula series is, you know, one of the things that I am most proud of having done. I feel like I, I learned. Not only did I learn so much, but I feel like we, in, in some instances, created new scholarship. Yeah, and I loved it and yet around july i realized i didn't know how i was going to make it to the end of the year it was it was it was really untenable in terms of a life and i just said okay i'm going to put my head down i'm going to end it i didn't know if it was going to have an ending i'm going to end it even though it's this thing that i adore yeah and i'm going to make sure that we touch upon all the topics that are important or most important before we do. So at the beginning, we're just sort of thinking, well, who would be cool to have on the show? And and then by halfway through, it's more like, okay, there's only going to be 12 episodes. We're not going to start with the guest. We're going to start with the topic because we want to make sure we're not, don't want to have two great guests necessarily with the same topic, but we wouldn't want to not talk about translation or we wouldn't want to not talk about uh, the writing mother. And if I, if we'd done it the other way, maybe those episodes wouldn't have happened. And I think those were really important episodes. Yeah, it was a good idea. Well, you, you, you're really good at making connections between things, right? I mean, the whole show is, is a little bit like, um, the water rippling from one edge of the of the lake to another but it's sort of or the pool because it sort of bounces off all the waves come back and they bounce back and i mean i find myself wanting to go down various rabbit holes and then suddenly on a different rabbit hole and then down on a different rabbit hole. and i'm walking along you know trying to also navigate my way underneath the highway and stuff so you know i i you know so i but it's there are times where i have actually stopped i mean i can talk about i mean we're going to talk about episodes now but in my case um there was an episode with um, Sabrina. What's her, what's her name? Sabrina Marks. Uh, Sabrina and, or a Mark? Yeah, and Mark. And yeah, I'm, I'm really bad with names. I should I should admit this from the. I try to have notes, so if I get the names wrong, I apologize. But uh, she was talking about uh, Sim Sum, and um, mm -hmm. I was on the on this bridge, um, which is overlooking uh, the Rideau uh, Canal. And there's a, a, it was wintertime still, and there was a, a flash of ice on the water, just as I was hearing about the light. 
and the idea of, of the uh, vessel being broken and then uh, having to gather the shards of light. And I just had sh like it was like a shiver. It was like a poem mm -hmm. shiver moment. It was but there's lots like that. There are lots of moments like that for me with the podcast. So, well, so. there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing you and other people taking them on walks and then posting photos <laughs> of going on walks. It's kind of unreal to see see it get physicalized out in the world that way this this in some ways disembodied thing or a very intimate thing because it's between me and one other person then traveling over a bridge and yeah. interacting with the light off of the river i listened to the uh, uh richard powers episodes uh, partly in um in an, uh, an area of uh, town which is uh, called our it's a, a it's a Canadian experimental farm which has a lot of old trees not old like the redwoods he was talking about but um, um, old for Ottawa anyway and uh, so I was there with uh, a lot of trees listening to him talk about and you talk about the the importance of uh, taking care of the trees and what they do for us so it's like perfect it's like I should just try and theme these like I should go to some place when I'm listening to uh, that has to do with something in the, I don't know <laughs> ahead of time so I can't I love that idea yeah the other thing that happens to me is that I listen to uh, it uh, primarily on Spotify when I'm walking and with the earlier episodes because the earlier episodes were shorter so they were like because you were on the radio station they were they were um, you know up to an hour long but the like 56 minutes or or shorter and so I will sometimes run out of an episode and then it'll start on the next one or some other one randomly so sometimes I'm in a completely different time and hmm. I time travel a lot with your podcast as well <laughs> I love that also fun. also fun and and speaking of of episodes like so there's this uh, common I guess it's called a meme uh, on social media where people ask uh, where where people ask like uh, what are what are five films or books to get to know you which is a, a an interesting idea I, I every time I try to do it I get sidetracked into something else but uh, so I was at, I was wondering if you could talk about a few episodes of the show to help people who might not know um, about uh, between the covers maybe some episodes to help them get to know the show I know that was such a hard question to I know think <laughs> really was actually but if i had to pick one it might be the jory graham episode mm -hmm. and the reason why so that's an episode with a poet um who's been publishing poetry since 1980. yeah and yet what's interesting about it is it's about poetry it's about art making but if you were scared of poetry or had no interest in poetry, or were hostile to poetry, or had no interest in art making. It's really an episode about how to be present to one's own life, regardless of art, but through the language of talking about making art. So in that regard, I think that's a good example, or a great example, I think, of um, my approach, the, the types of conversations I aspire to have, and the ways a conversation about a book of poems could be a conversation about a whole bunch of other things, um, whether that be the Anthropocene and climate apocalypse or, you know, anything really. So I picked that one. Maybe I would pick the last of the three or the most recent of the three conversations with Ursula K. Le Guin that was, in her, that was recorded in her reading room in her house. So that's the one about the nonfiction book, Words Are My Matter. Yeah. Um, probably pick that one because I think that's when we have really established rapport. It's, it's, it's a lot of laughter. Yeah, I, I love that it's one. Fun. <laughs> um, it's also the most listened to of of any episode. Hmm. Um, and then I guess to to know me, I'll just say this. And I don't know that these episodes, in and of, of of themselves, are ones that I would say you should seek these episodes in particular. Except that, woman, well, I, mean, I they're they're really close to my heart. Hmm. Um, so getting to know me. I feel really drawn to talking to elder 
writers. Hmm. And I feel more and more. And there's some great satisfaction for me to look back over many decades of a writer's life and then to reflect on that with them. So looking at a half century of writing with Rosemary Waldrop or Dion Brand, um, Arthur Z or Jory Graham, that I, I just love it. And I don't, I can't do it very often because it takes so much out of me, I guess, but just so much time. Like there's no way I could do more than two or three of those conversations in a year, but, or Elen Siksu most recently, I swear I still wake up some days and, and, um, have thoughts about how how did that happen? How did that happen? That doesn't make sense that that happened. Um, and maybe that's a conversation that has most planted a desire in me to have another conversation with her, to try to manufacture right. another reason to have a conversation with her. Yeah, um, that's good. Is there an but, anniversary of a book coming up anytime soon? <laughs> there must be. Well, believe me, I've been poking around good. around future right. books. Yeah, about, yeah. And she's still, I mean, she has multiple books since we talked that have come out in French that haven't been translated. But what they all share in common is this uh, journey over time around a writer's process and life. And then the act of looking back across it together, like Mm -hmm. talking to Dion Brand about her time in Grenada before the U S invaded and the, the society that was being built in, in contradistinction to everything that was going on in the world. That so amazing. Yeah, that was a great episode. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I would just point, to, I guess I would point to those and it doesn't mean that I don't feel no. sometimes blown away by writers talking to writers about their first book or their second book. I do. I mean, when you mentioned Natalie Diaz, like she's the only person who's come on twice for the same book, five hours about one book that is her second book. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's not, that's not to say that those aren't incredible conversations. And so many of the most memorable ones are people who only have one or two books. Solman Sharif is another, I think of in that realm. So I don't know. I don't know which ones to put as the five, but those would be some of them. Those those are good too. I was just listening yesterday to the Ada Limon uh, mm-hmm. podcast, uh, episode. And um, what I, I really liked that one, um, one of the reasons I liked it was because she was talking about how so writing poetry for her, like she talked about sort of early days of more sort of like the most important thing was basically experimenting and trying things out. And I'm always trying to balance that out myself. Right. And, and but the way she sort of talked about being at readings and sort of what the memorable stuff was and then listening to her. Re- the other thing I, I, I probably I don't know if I'm going to repeat myself, but I love hearing people read their work on the on the show as well. So I'm, I'm often really excited to hear that. But also there are some episodes where you have um, where you do um, where you read you take something and you read it like you t- uh, uh, telling is listening from Ursula Le Guin. You had that with uh, Gabrielle Bellot. And then you had another episode where you had um, the episode uh, with Lydia Yuknovic and you had uh, you, the ve- Christine Sharps, uh, Christina Sharps, the vessel. And when you do those call and response kind of um, almost uh, where you read other people's work, it's another way in which you bring things in, like you just bring other writers in. And it's just so, um, if I was sitting in a bookstore at that point, I, I'd be lost. I'd be buying all the books in the store. <laughs> but it's really good. Well, it does feel good to, um, I guess, foreground the, the archive of both what are the influences of the guest in question, but also what are the things that I'm drawing upon in order to create a line of inquiry so that people can go and create their own networks of sort of like when you read, speaking of the, I guess this is maybe tangentially related to the radio, like 
used to buy albums and yeah. you'd read the liner notes and you'd read, or I would read the liner notes yeah. and then I would see who these people were influenced by, who they loved. And then that would be my next purchase when I'd go to the record store. So a way of sort of building a tree. Yeah. This person that blows my mind, how did they become who they are? And then working my way backwards. I kind of think that's a nice thing to, um, to reveal. It's a generous thing to reveal, to um, show the ways in which um, you've been made the way you are. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really fascinating too. I, I love it. And uh, I, you know, the thing is we were talking about your, your, your preparation and um, for the, um, for the show and all that you do. And I, I tend to give guests um, questions in advance. I like to give them questions about two weeks in advance, but I don't, I, I have to limit myself to spending only a couple of days of preparation because uh, um, there's a lot of things, but um and some people read and some ask for changes, but for the most part, most guests don't read ahead. So, you know, it's not for me necessary to really do that, but it helps me because it gets it out of my head and out of my uh, brain space. And I know everyone's time is limited. So I res- try to respect everyone's time. I gave you questions ahead of time and, and that was, that was a good thing to do. I think I, I was glad to do that, but um, I learned on, there's an interview, a creative mornings interview. I'll put a, I'll put a link up to um, it's, uh, it's actually on, um, a video which was cool to see from may 2022 that you don't provide the question to guess the questions in advance i was shocked because i <laughs> when i learned this was while i was researching this because i i had been listening to the show at that point for some time and the guests aside from the fact that well i know you prepare in advance they always sound to me like they're very i mean they there's lots of surprise and it's a dynamic conversation but still they sound very poised for the most part i mean yes they're thinking about it but and sometimes they do say oh i wasn't expecting that or so yeah there's a there is definitely the surprise in there but still i thought they knew but i i so i guess can you talk uh, more about uh, not giving guest questions yeah. And was that something that you came to later? I don't think it was something that you, I don't know. Did you do that from the beginning or? It's from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, first I'll say as a guest on your podcast, <laughs> it was nice to have the questions in advance. <laughs> and it also, it really demonstrated to me how much work you had done prior to us meeting today. Um, the depth of, of, of exploration that you've done. But it also, as you mentioned, gave me an opportunity to say, well, which was true, I'm happy to answer any of these questions. And I, and I was, but these are the ones that, because there's a lot of questions, we're not going to get to all these questions. And I'm also impressed that how different this is happening versus what I saw on the page. So it's happening in a much more sort of fluid, um, an improvisational way with sort of the scaffolding underneath that is, uh, was imagined in advance. But um, I said I'd answer any of the questions, but I also said, these are the questions that I'm more interested in. But if you feel like your audience is more interested in these other questions, I'll answer them. So that, that I think has influenced you a little bit, but I didn't, it wasn't important to me if you wanted to go with the original version or not. But for me, I think originally what my impulse was around not giving the questions was wanting people to not stick on their uh, pre-made shtick that they use on tour. And I think this is mostly true, like about big writers. And I think what they're, it's a conundrum because let's say someone like George Saunders, He's going to go on a book tour. He's going to do 18 cities. He comes up with, like everyone, I'm not picking him specifically, you come up with uh, the things that you most want to say, and you've sort of prepared um, the way you want to present your book in the world. So if you're going to listen, like I would, which most people wouldn't, but if you're going to listen to him in five different cities. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of repetition. But again, you have to keep in mind that what he's saying and what he's repeating is very important to him at the same time. 
But if, because my questions are weird and because my questions are long and because sometimes they're not answerable and there's too many questions within them, part of that is to hopefully get them into a, a space where they're talking differently than uh, the way they anticipate talking because they can't just deliver the thing that they've already prepared. Um, but I still need to figure out a way to have them convey some of that information that's important to them. So part of it was, is that a sense of wanting to create new material to not be just another instance of them on the tour as great as it is, as, as polished as it is, but to do something that feels different than the other places, um, to take a different approach. And part of that then is because they don't know where I'm going and they're, and it's, and earlier, less so now, because I think a lot more now guests know of my show. Yeah. But at the beginning, there was a lot of surprise about how I was doing it. Is there and pushback? So, well, I mean, occasionally people don't like it. Yeah. It's not like I expect this to be like an approach that other people emulate. It's just it's what I've come to from myself. Um, but a lot of people do like it. And the other part around them seeming prepared, and this is something that I prepare guests for in advance. I reassure them the show is taped and that it's going to be edited to our best selves. And I do an enormous amount of editing, many, many days of editing. And part of that is just removing silences or ums, yeah. or a little bit of like, if you're given a really difficult question, sometimes to buy yourself time, you'll start answering the question, but not knowing what you're saying. And so there's sort of like this word soup that really doesn't have any meaning to it. And I'll just pull, when they find purchase on their answer is where I'll start their answer, which right. is not how it happens in real time. So I say to them, you know, when we talk, it's taped, we can take breaks, you can sit in silence. You can ask me to repeat something for sure. clarification. Uh, you can start an answer over and, and then I will edit it all out to make it sound brilliant. So the sense of, okay, uh, the that. sense of um, them knowing right away what to say is partly part of the, I guess, the theater of presenting a conversation in a specific way. Um, which I like and tends to be something that the guests appreciate in the end. So, so that's why it's not to, I'm never trying. I also reassure them. I'm not trying to ever like no, put them on the a spot. gotcha question yeah, yeah. that I'm going to launch on them. And they're going to be like, what the hell? I mean, occasionally that happens by accident, but yeah. not by design. I, I want people to feel like they already know the answers to all my questions based on the the questions that they have about their own life and their own work. Yeah, no, it's it's good, and I, I, I that makes total sense that there is editing. We we don't we don't do too much editing here. Uh, sometimes, if someone mentions something they'd rather not uh, mention, we might we, we will take it out. And my husband Charles is the one who does that side of things with in consultation with me. But uh, like I listen to it and stuff. But uh, yeah, we we don't do a big edit here. But see, I think what happens there is that your guests can trust you then to to represent them in in the in the light that they want to be represented in and the work in the end. So that's really good. Whereas here you get all the ums. No, actually, with the really long, sometimes if there's a really long ums, he'll he'll will say, well, maybe we should take these out. So the long pauses, and so sometimes he'll do that too. And it's all it's. I have to say that side of thing is not not doesn't interest me, and I find it very. I, I like listening to this. Like I listen to the show afterwards. I make some notes, not very, not really, really detailed notes, but some notes and links and stuff like that. But I don't. Uh, I have time to do that once, <laughs> you know, once through. So I don't like it when I have to do it again, put it that way. But I love, I love listening again. I, I find the process of listening to 
the conversation. I learn a lot too at that stage. I become the listener. One of the funny things about talking to you now is that I'm so used to you being doing all the talking because that's how I usually listen to you. So at some point I have to like remind myself I'm supposed to be part of it's like, like a conversation with me. Not, I'm waiting for the other guest to answer, you know, <laughs> if someone else come along and answer. So that's it. That's a funny thing. Um, you said that uh, one of the reasons for the podcast is because you wanted to answer some questions you had related to your own writing. I'm interested to know what kind of questions you had about your writing. And uh, you had your first literary guest was Anthony Doerr back in 2010. And you asked him whether he believed in the right what you know advice and other questions that were very clearly related to craft. But um, can you give some examples of maybe other writers you you wanted to have on for or is there sort of ancillary on the side that you thought of that or? And also well, what kind of questions maybe too. Yeah, I would say that was more true in the first half of the podcast than yes. now. Yeah. In the, in the sense that maybe part of reclaiming my own selfhood postgraduate school was joining, forming and joining a, a book group that read difficult books together and then be joining a writing group or various different writing groups and starting to write and doing the episodes were opportunities from a place of a lot of naivete, I think, but not entirely to ask questions to writers and then get, you know, maybe ask the same sorts of craft questions and getting five different answers from five different writers. Yeah sort of figures out a way to constellate what feels right to you as a as a writer. I mean, I guess my own growth, I would say my own growth on the show was interesting. Another unforeseen thing is the only thing I felt really comfortable in the first year or first two years talking about, because I had a lot of familiarity with it, was fiction. Yeah narrative fiction, a non-experimental narrative fiction. Right. And so that's where I started because I knew it. I wasn't thinking a lot about it, about that being the choice, but that's mostly what I was reading. And then slowly moving towards narrative nonfiction has a whole nother set of questions. And then to narrative poetry. Yeah. And, hybrid. But, and I was, I was, you know, I had a lot of anxiety about poetry 13 years ago, but now like those are, I mean, as you heard me mention the names of the episodes, I would have people go yeah. to, let's say 90% of them are poets that I mentioned. Uh, I would say that like the heart of my own interest is indeterminate or hybrid works and poetry or poetry adjacent like yeah. if you were to look at diane williams or melanie ray tone or even ben marcus or sam lipsite there's there's these are fiction writers who pay an enormous amount of attention attention to syntax and to non-connotative elements um, of writing, even though they're writing story. Max Porter, the way he pays attention to white space and the layout of a page. Even Richard Powers and passages of lyricism at points. But so I'm on the opposite pole step by step than I would have ever dreamed of being the case. I would say that it's not that often that I have on someone who wrote a great novel that is just a great story and right. isn't also doing something else. And that's no fault. I'm not looking down at that. Um, but I'm thinking, I guess this would be maybe when you say there's a surprise that I don't share the questions i think the other surprise might be that i don't read a whole bunch of people's books to decide whether or not to have them on the show 
like a lot of the people I'm having on the show, I have not read until they're coming on the show. Right. So these aren't 24. These aren't me saying these are the 24 best books of the year. Yeah. No. <clears throat> at all. In fact, there are books that I have on the show that I, that leave me cold. But the question is for me is more, I mean, I do want to be reading books as much as I can that I'm getting something out of myself because this is so much of my time, but, yeah. but really I'm trying to choose books that I imagine could create great conversations regardless of whether they're great books. And of course I am reading great books every year, but I'm not reading 24 great books every year. And, um, but I aim, I'm, I'm trying to aim to have great, maybe I don't succeed at having 24 great conversations a year, but I aim to have 24 great conversations a year about writing. Well, I, all the ones I've heard, I've, I've been fascinated by. I mean, I don't, I sometimes end up having a little daydream because I'll, I'll, I'll there's one, something someone says and, or something you say, and then I'm off, I'm, I'm thinking about it as I'm navigating traffic, but, um, or whatever I'm doing. But, uh, so yeah, sometimes I, and so then I, like, for instance, I noticed like for the Natalie uh, Diaz, um, episodes the first time around what i really noticed about that episode was the the stuff on empathy but coming back i had i had missed the whole beginning where you talked about it being the 10th anniversary so it was like i just like well i don't know maybe i was maybe there was construction going on at that point and i missed it or something but no sometimes there and there i i wish i'd gotten it up but there was an early episode and there was something someone said that I was so excited by. I, I came into my fitness class and I told my fitness instructor, because I'm always there early, and he's uh, he's actually a, a retired United Church minister. So we, and he's a writer as well. So sometimes I'll come in with stuff from your your podcast to talk to him about. So that's uh, that's uh, something that happens too. Well, the empathy thing's a good example. Yeah. That I do follow questions that I think are writing questions, but they're also larger than writing questions. They're not craft questions necessarily, but philosophical questions that relate to writing that I still like when Leslie Jameson came on a long time ago for the empathy exams, that sort of, that was the first time that I heard someone critiquing empathy, which is mainly put forth as an obvious good. Yeah. yeah. And so that was a curiosity for me that, you know, hearing Natalie Diaz speak about it here, hearing Solma Sharif speak about it. And then other, and then also thinking about, and I think it's related, writing the other, should we be writing from our own subject position? Right. Should we be imagining into the lives of others, particularly others who, who, uh, are down a vector of power from where we are in some fashion. So that that's an interesting question around representation, which I think obliquely is related to this question of empathy. And it's not like I'm only having writers on with one opinion on that. You have Zadie Smith and Rabi Alamadine, who very much are about writing into the lives of others versus Claudia Rankin who is urging white writers in particular to stay yeah. within their bodies yeah. when they write yeah. and write about race from their their position but um so i guess those are examples that they're not in, they're related to craft but they aren't craft questions they're not necessarily writing questions for me now but they're you know, uh, not entirely resolvable questions that I think are interesting and productive yeah. to keep poking at. Well, that's it, and and that's what one of the other things I like is all these, and you call you call them through lines in the in the person's work, but also there are through lines through the through the series because through the podcast because these questions come up again, and um, just when I think I've 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 agreed with one person, another person will come along and say, like Gabrielle Bellot was talking too about empathy in 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 her conversation about with the Ursula Ursula crafting with Ursula on names and naming and, and so like and then I said yeah I sort of see that point too now but like I kind of take on the you know I kind of I, I was agreeing with that but it's so 
the, you know, it's not a, a cut and dry thing. And, and a lot of the things that you talk about are not cut and dried things. So they, I mean, why would they be? Why write books about things that are cut and dry? <laughs> like the end would come up very soon in the, in the, uh, and why have conversations about things that are cut and dried? Like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to. Also just, I, I think what's so great about the podcast as a format is you can go as long as you want. Yeah. And I think really being able to circle something and spend time with it and sort of tease out the nuances of it is a, is a good thing. Yeah. It, it's worthwhile. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I find it, um, I thought when I, when I saw that some of the, at first, when I saw that some of these episodes of yours were like two hours long or, or, and I was like, Oh, how can I, how will I, you know, will I be, be interested? And no, I've been interested that like it, you've maintained my interest. And, uh, I saw, I mean, I listen. I, I think there are a lot of different ways. I wonder how uh, people listen to your podcast too, because some of the, like you said, Sutton, there's other people that take, take, take you out for a walk with them, take the, the podcast out for a walk. But I mean, there's other ways. Sometimes I'm listening to it as I'm, as I'm doing the dishes or something in the, and so the, 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 it's in the other room. So I hear, I catch little snippets here and there. So I don't hear the whole thing. Or I might, I might have, like, I might forget to stop it while I go, I go off to another room and things like that. And then I also do doodles when I'm doing so, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways that I engage with, uh, and it would be interesting to know too. I actually should ask my listeners, like, how do you listen to the? Uh, how do you listen to this podcast and other podcasts? Do you, um, do you? I mean, I, just to sit in front of uh, the your phone or something and listen, or you know, how, gather the family round the old TV. Like that's not something we do anymore, right? So, so it's all very individual. But I have to say, one of my one of my um, one of the things that I really love is that. Um, my husband and I listened to actually first it was um, because I was preparing um, for this uh, conversation. So I, I wanted I needed to listen to some episodes in the evenings, too. And we're together. We, we have a home office we share and he's there in the we're often working together in the in that room in the evenings. And uh, so I was actually the episode with um, the one that I first heard you on, which was the one with uh, when you were on Rachel Zucker's commonplace mm -hmm. podcast that's where i first heard you and that was in 2020 and she was she had you on the show and she was talking about the 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 show hadn't been on commonplace had been had a, been on a little bit of a hiatus with the start of the pandemic and also she was she had gotten a divorce so, and she explained all that and and you were so um you were a really good listener and you didn't you didn't uh, center yourself you just kind of let her, you you know you you let her talk but you also had useful things to say and we were listening to that again to get because I had listened to it before so that was my husband's first experience of listening to you in on the on the and that was my first experience of, of hearing you as well but then we went on to listen to um we listened to her episode with you on on between the covers with sound machine and also fascinated by that and then we now and i said to him well i think you're going to like the crafting with ursula series because he's a his back he has some background with he likes sci-fi and stuff like that and, and and fantasy so um so yeah and then we had just ended up listening to it and sometimes we'd stop and talk about different things and um and uh he would tell me oh. stories i would tell him stories so that's and people should seek out your 12 <laughs> crafting with ursula doodles <laughs> They're not really doodles. I think you called them doodles, but I did, yeah. they're not. They're much more elaborate <laughs> and, and uh, manifested than a doodle. Oh, and, they're well, really, and they're really wonderful. I can't draw hands. That's why I say doodle. <laughs> no, there's a couple. That's good. I, I'm gonna. Uh, yeah, I like to. Um, um, I was. I guess we've talked a little bit about about uh, preparation as well already. So I was going to ask you about. Um, uh, I was talking to you about how you bring in other writers um, throughout the show when you talk about them, but you also, something which I think is really great is you actually bring in um, other writers' questions. So you you actually uh, invite writers to ask the guests questions, which I think is fantastic. I thought that's a fantastic idea. It, it requires editing skills that I do not have, but I think, it, I think it's a really cool idea. So for example, for the Christina Sharp episode, you had Madeline Tien and Kinesia Lubrin and Ronaldo Walcott who recorded questions for Christina and they were all different questions too. Like I thought they were, they were great. So I, I, I think this is an important indication of the community of the show that you thought to do this. 
and you were able to engage the participation of other writers. Um, it's I, To me, it's another example of how you hold space and center writers in their universe, which is something that you said you wanted to do um, for the uh, for the show. So can you talk about bringing in other writers to ask questions? How do you decide who to ask? I know sometimes they're guests who've been on the show as well, but not always. Yeah, um, they're not always past guests. And in mm -hmm. fact, quite often they're not past guests, but I think it's one of two things, either writers that mean a lot to the guest I'm talking to or writers for whom the guest I'm talking to means a lot to them. So it's one of those two, I think. But I think it used to be me reading the questions a long time ago and more and more I'm pushing for them to be audio files because there's something that happens when you hear the other voice appear. There's something, especially if it's someone that the guest cares about, that they hear this other person's voice show up in the conversation. Um, the conversation usually proceeds differently afterwards, I think, in a good way. Yeah, no, it's... More it's often than not. It's really nice. And, and they're always, because it's a surprise too, they're always, it's always such a, it's like, it's like you're, you're at a, you know, you're at a dinner party and the next guest arrives and, oh, it's so-and-so, you know, I didn't expect, yeah. or on, on a, on a, I really, I really like that as well. I wanted to talk to you about, um, I wanted to talk to you about, um, about uh, listening as well. So um, you have a way of asking open-ended questions uh, to keep the conversation flowing, which I really appreciate. It's something I, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out how to do that. So on the episode with Christine Sharp, and actually I, I heard it too on the episode with Alicia Oswald, which is an older episode, you use the verb speak into. And I really like that. I wanted, and for an example, here's a quote, I wanted to speak into the ways your work has shaped this show and its archive long before today. And I really like this idea of speaking into rather than about or of, not that you don't, I mean, we all, we say those too, but uh, Christina in response used the same phrase. And it makes me think of speaking into a microphone or into a receiver, and it gives the impression of closeness and intimacy of leaning in. So uh, speak about or speak of have less intimate connections to me. So, um, and I also wasn't surprised that when your interactions with patients as part of your work before as a, as a naturopath, you would have 90 minute patient interaction. So I think some of those skills maybe for crafting questions might have come from those as well. So um, yeah, I just, and one of the things you said in uh, Keep the Channel Open, the um, the uh, podcast with uh, Mike Saskasagawa, is you talked about learning to make friends by listening to people as a way to dissenter yourself as a child due to being bullied. So you said interviewing became a strange form of survival. So it's something I really relate to. I had to learn as a child to listen very closely because I grew up in a house with where there was a, a volatile temper and abuse. So um, I had to learn to listen very closely. So I, I I think that maybe I'm wondering if talking to writers about their work is is taking this idea of listening as a form of survival and turning it into something positive and, and constructive. Because you're such a close and careful listener on the show, not only with your preparation ahead of time, um, uh, you know, it, it just it just feels like you leave, you know, that you you are listening very closely. So, uh, so I guess I was going to ask if you could talk more about listening in general and maybe listening for survival and how the act of listening to between the covers has contributed to your own well being and other aspect of your writing life and your life, maybe. Yeah, and this is this is something. As you mentioned, I don't talk often about my own life on the show, yeah. but one place that I did was with Victoria Chang because she was talking about her own experience and her using sort of a shape shape shifting as a form of survival. Mm. And I I bring up this very thing that you you quoted from Mike Sakasagawa's podcast. I bring up how, like her. Um, when I was growing up, I, I felt very othered and, and being out of the house felt very uh, fraught and sometimes dangerous for me. And um, so the survival mechanism was putting my desires to the side and centering other people in order to make friends. But there's a certain, uh, it's a devil's bargain in a sense that you've put yourself to the side, you've put your own desires to the side. Um, 
you're getting something you want, but at the expense of yourself uh, on one level. And I felt that toward the end of my time with patience in the sense that I felt like too much of my life was listening and caring for others. And part of finishing school and um, also focusing more on writing was part of balancing that out. It was one of the most terrifying things in the world for me to start writing something that I know that when I was little, people had pointed out to me that I might've had a facility for, but the mm -hmm. last thing that I would have ever dreamed of doing, and I never would have done it is to expose myself to more, to criticism or to more criticism yeah. or the possibility of humiliation to stand on a stage. And so that was out of the question. But at the point when I felt like maybe decentering myself and listening had reached a maybe a spiritual dead end in a way, um, starting to write, starting to receive feedback on my writing, being edited, that was my responses to it were ridiculously um, decoupled from reality, the emotional way that I didn't handle that well in so many different ways at the beginning was because of that fear. So, I mean, so much growth happened as a writer for me and finally sort of expressing and then as simple as it might sound to many, um, not seeing the feedback as, as existentially perilous. And then with interviewing, trying to have interviewing take the best of centering the other, but also to somehow make listening into a form of expressing also. Because the questions I ask, as you know, can be three or four minutes long. And those questions <laughs> aren't just questions. Sometimes they're helping inform the audience about things that I don't want to burden the writer themselves with having to catch people up to speed on so right. that we can focus on the art. I'm informing the audience in the question. Sometimes it's my own oblique uh, tangential curiosities or I'm proposing connections that I don't know whether the writer is going to find compelling. But there's a way the listening feels different than the listening I would do before doing an acupuncture treatment on somebody. It also is a form of self-expression. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it is constructive. I think the listening now is, for me, is it, what works is that I, I am very present in the interview, not in the way Rachel Zucker is, where you really, where she really brings in the material of her, life and the dramas of her life in a way that's I think incredibly compelling it. like it is yeah. in her in her own poetry yeah. it's not that but it's but I'm very present for better or worse I mean we have all of these great podcasts that are very defined by very distinctive personalities that I think is good if you don't like yeah. listening to David Naiman and his essayistic questions you can listen to Rachel Zucker, or you can listen to Mike Sakasagawa, or yeah. you can listen to you. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to the the um, the um, Alice Oswald um, lecture on the art of erosion, and she was talking a lot about that, actually, listening and, and holding space and 
Beckett and, you know, about uh, these pauses and they became moonlight. You know, he wanted the actors to speak with moonlight in there. So, yeah, the whole idea of listening all came back and a thread to that as well. There are so many other, they say a good conversation is one that doesn't end. But I don't want to take up your time uh, after after this. So I'm suggesting that maybe at some other point you will come back on and we maybe can talk about Ursula Le Guin, crafting with Ursula and also your own writing more and things like that. But I also want to make sure I have time to read the, the uh, note of praise that I have. I always end the episode with a note of praise. Is there anything else that you want to just add before before I do that, before I read the... Uh... I'd, be, I'd be happy to come back and talk about Great. Ursula. That would be great. And also, about, I would like to know about your own writing as well more. I mean, I've, I've, I've been reading your work and enjoying reading your various uh, stories and also nonfiction pieces and the interesting uh, soundy work of some of the, uh, the, uh, the, the prose poems as well. And Heathen, for example, I love. So there's all kinds of things to talk about. I, I, I knew that we would have a lot to talk about. So I'm, I'm very glad for that. That's great. So this is my my note of praise here. Okay, Between the Covers is a carrier bag podcast, to borrow Le Guin's concept of the carrier bag theory of fiction. Um, It holds books and words that bear meanings. It is a gathering place of intricately woven stories, grains of inspiration, whole fields of ideas and words that bloom into lush and rich conversations. It centers work by queer writers, writers of color, women writers, who are so often erased in the literary canon. It brings translation, horror, science, fiction, and fantasy out of the periphery. It includes the wild oat, its husk and seed, to quote a certain author. Naaman moves from one thoughtful and in, and insight in one thoughtful, insightful thing to another. Guests will often respond with delight at the connections he draws. This podcast gets me excited about reading and writing. Through research, gathering, and contemplative thinking, David Naaman crafts compelling conversations collaboratively with writers. He gently guides guests and listeners through myriad connections from the work being discussed to microcosms and macrocosms. Naaman is a carrier, much like Lesvi in Lydia Yuknovich's book, Thrust, who carries objects and knowledge backwards and forwards through time. Naaman holds space for art and community. Listeners of Between the Covers are rewarded with fascinating conversations and space for the imagination. Between the Covers is the work of an attentive and devoted listener, reader, and caring person. It is a warm and welcome home for writers and readers. And who said this? Me. <laughs> oh, you said it. Oh, that's thank me. You. <laughs> that's so wonderful. Thank you. Amanda. That's me. I also put that up on the show notes as well. So I'll put that up. There's a typo in there that was so huge, I had to stumble, but I'll fix the typo. <laughs> Evidently. And in the show notes, I'm going to include all the references and links to the various sources that I read to find out read to find out more about David, but a few that I especially want to uh, give a shout out to were uh, that were particularly helpful were Constance Malloy's three-part interview with David on her blog, The Burning Hearth, Mike Saskasagawa's interview and panel on the literary craft of the podcast on his, on his podcast, Keep the Channel Open, which I've discovered a new uh, podcast that I really want to get into because it's great. David and Rachel Zucker's conversation on the Commonplace podcast and the Creative Mornings interview on YouTube. Those were some of my some of my touchstones for this conversation. So, Well, I'm honored to have been on your show today, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks to David for being on the show, to Charles O for processing, to Jennifer Peterson for the intro and outro, and to all of you for listening and sharing the episode. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Small Machine Talks. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.